One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana The host asked me if I had a nickname Said my friends call me the Dirtbag King She said on the air I started giggling Hasn't had me back but now I've got this podcast Welcome to my podcast. Hey, Dirtbags. Thank you so much for tuning in to a Dirtbags Guide to Life on the Road. This is your host, Charles Ellsworth. And as usual, I'm so happy to have you here this week, this year. Welcome to 2023. It feels good. It feels weird. I keep making the joke. I got to figure out what the fuck a 2023 is and how the hell I'm going to do it. And so far, so good. I'd say I've been doing yoga every morning. Shout out to Yoga with Adrian. If you're not familiar, Yoga with Adrian's my favorite YouTube channel, and she does a 30-day yoga journey at the beginning of every year, and so it's a nice way to slip back into a daily yoga routine and trying to keep that going for the rest of the year. Because some point in 2022, I lost track of that and stopped doing it as a daily thing. So it's nice to be easing back into that. But I hope you had a great 2022, great end of the year, and I'm sorry we missed you last week, but... It was just kind of that dead week between Christmas and New Year's. Didn't really feel like putting out an episode because I didn't want people to miss it. Because the episode that we have this week is with my friend John Luther of Wonder House and the Haymarket Squares. So glad to have him on the podcast this week. And I didn't want you all to miss it because it was a great interview. We got all over the place, really got into it. John and I met last year when we played together at a show here in Brooklyn, and we just hit it off immediately. We once again have a bunch of mutual friends because he lived in Arizona at a certain point. And so we've got all these mutual friends and our paths never really crossed, but they finally did this last summer and we immediately hit it off, became very good friends, had such a great time playing with his band Wonder House. If you're not familiar with them, check them out. They're out of Philly. Really, really fun band. It was just, it was really awesome. It was cool to just make friends immediately with someone. And uh, I was so excited that he agreed to come on the podcast all these months later. And we had ourselves a really solid conversation. I had a great time with him. I think that you'll all really love this conversation and hopefully we'll be playing some music together in the near future. Uh, So keep an eye out for Charles Ellsworth and some of John Luther's projects, hopefully hitting the stage together sometime soon. So I'm really excited for y'all to get into it. It's a great interview had a lot of fun and I think you all will really enjoy it. But before we get to it, really quickly I want to say that if you like the podcast and you want to support us going into and through 2023, the best way for you to do that is to go to patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth. And Patreon's a platform in which you can support artists or programs or organizations that you find meaningful and you think are important and deserve your financial backing. And so what you do is you find a tier that speaks to you, whether it's three, five, ten, twenty dollars a month, and you sign up to contribute that much each month. And in return for that contribution, you get access to new content, different exclusive things that don't go out to everybody else, as well as discounts on merchandise, concert tickets, things like that. It's a really cool thing, really great way to support me, support the show, make it to where I can keep making the show, keep making music, keep being on the road. It just helps fill in all the gaps of the in-betweens when I'm doing freelance work and all of a sudden work's just not coming in. So thank you so much to patrons that are listening or watching. See, this week we're doing something a little different where John Luther agreed for me to film the podcast. And so I'm actually filming this intro right now, and I'm going to release it as a video podcast to my patron as kind of a test. I might want to later this year switch to doing some form of video podcast, and I think this would be a really fun way to try it out first by putting out some of them to the Patreon and seeing how they all respond to it. If you want to watch this episode video, go to Patreon and sign up for $3 or more a month. 
and you'll get access to the video of me and John having this conversation. Don't worry, you can still listen to the audio version of this podcast and all the other episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're listening to that podcast, if you could just do me a real quick favor, make sure you're following us or subscribe to us on whatever platform you use. And if you use Apple Podcasts or if you even just have an Apple iPhone or a computer and you have the Apple Podcasts app, please pull up the show, give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps more people out in, on the internet, in the podcast app, find us, find find A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the road, and your reviews will potentially help them decide whether they want to listen or not. And I'd really love for the podcast to grow this year. I've got this crazy goal of having a million listeners in 2023, which is pretty fucking insane considering I had like 2,000 last year. So lots of work to do, and but I really believe in the possibility of it. And I think that with some of the awesome guests that we're getting and then you all sharing it with people that you love and care about and you think will enjoy the show, We'll get there in no time. So please, this week, if you could just share an episode with someone that you think would enjoy the show, let them know that it's from your old pal Chuck and that you like his music and you like his podcast and you like whatever things you like about me, my mustache maybe, you know, be sure to tell someone about it. I'd love it if everybody listening right now would just share the podcast with one person and we would double in no time. I know the first of the year is kind of a weird time. I've been doing my best to not start spiraling out. I feel it starting and then I just got to focus or figure out the next thing to put my energy into. I've got so much going on and it just, it can feel exciting, but also overwhelming. And so it's a weird time, but I'm just so thankful for all of you listening to the podcast. I'm thankful for your support and for you continuing to show up and and listen each week and, and come to the shows and listen to the music. I got lots of really exciting things going on in 2023 and I'm so excited to share them with you. So go to patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth so you can get a background look at all of that and all the new things we got going on. Make sure you subscribe here to the podcast and make sure you are following us on social media. I'm on Instagram, charles.smellsworth. That really would be cool to find you on there. I'm posting a lot of different things, a lot of music stuff, videos of me and my dog Banjo. Lots of travel videos, things like that. So be sure to follow along on social media, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, whatever it is you use. I'm usually posting on those things somewhat regularly, Instagram the most. So thanks so much for the support of the show. If you want to watch this episode or what I'm filming right now, hey, hey, look at you, good looking. Um, <laughs> that's me just um, clicking and just calling myself good looking. Uh, yeah, go to patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth, sign up for $3 a month and you'll get access to this episode on video. Really quick before we jump into this episode, on this episode I mentioned this podcast that I really like. It's called Knowledge Fight, and I couldn't remember the names of the dudes that make the podcast, and so I just want to say it's Dan and Jordan out of Chicago. It's called Knowledge Fight. You should definitely give it a listen if you like being up to date on what crazy narratives Alex Jones and his ilk are spewing out to their audience, and if you want to be informed of that in like a really funny way, through some really intelligent, funny, and uh, just cool dudes. Uh, check it out, Knowledge Fight. And sorry for forgetting your names, Dan and Jordan. Uh, would love to have you all on the show if you're listening. So, big fan. Huge fan. But anyways, thanks for listening. Thanks for being a dirtbag and for tuning in. We got John Luther of Wonder House and Haymarket Squares right now. John Luther, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for being on a dirtbag's guide to life on the road uh how you been how how are you it's good to see you it's been a well first off thank you for having me on here and um very excited to be here um been good been well been um been able to have a lot of time with music 
working out of school as well, but I've been able to do a lot of time with music. Nice. Just got in the studio last month. We put together, uh, recorded five songs. We still have just a couple, one or two instruments that need to be added in um, that should be done hopefully in the next month. But, um, but life is good so far right now. So, Oh, yeah. Here we are. Well, I usually like to start off by uh, seeing, asking, like, where, where are you from originally? Where, where'd you grow up? Uh, tell me a little bit about the, the early days. Well, I am from the now often uh, ridiculed state of Ohio, uh, which has been the, the butt of many a meme lately. Um, the last uh, why is that? I haven't noticed the memes. Look it up. There's like, I didn't know about it either. I had some students tell me, oh man, do you see the Ohio memes? I'm like, what? So there's like, anyway, there's like Reddit and blah, blah, blah. These memes that they made about Ohio. Anyway, uh, it's an easy state. It's an easy target. Uh, but I'm from Toledo, Ohio, which is Northwest Ohio. The really, really flat and corn filled part of Ohio. And mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, from Toledo, which is about a, essentially kind of a suburb almost of Detroit. It's uh-huh. on beautiful uh, and polluted Lake Erie and uh-huh. uh, the Maumee River, which flows into Lake Erie. And I, it's a great place to be from. Good, good place to be raised. You know, had had a good, the standard childhood of the, the 80s and 90s, you know. Uh-huh. R- running through the streets, riding bikes, you know, your parents didn't know where you were. They kind of did, but you were just like, hey, I'm going over to Timmy's. And then you're just like gone for eight hours. And then later you come back, you know, so. Uh-huh. Totally. Uh, but somehow I survived. I have all my appendages. Um, I don't, you know, I didn't get uh, typhoid or cholera or any of those childhood illnesses that could have befallen me. And uh, that's. We're we're all glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you have? Uh, any siblings? I've I've got an older sister. Her name is Carly. She lives in Maryland, actually, and has three kids that are my nieces and nephews, and that's uh, part of the reason why I live out here on the East Coast now. Oh, um, nice. She's about like they're like an hour and a half away, and then I have a younger brother who. I play a lot of music with as well whenever I see him. So I just saw him in, uh, over Thanksgiving, and he is an amazing cool. singer, super, super nice. talented, uh, a lot better of a singer than I am. Um, so I'm trying to get him to try to get him over here to Philadelphia so I can get like a super group going. Uh, Hell yeah. Where does he live now? Is he in he's, Ohio? He's in Muncie, Indiana. Muncie. Muncie, Muncie Indiana. Indiana. Which is home to Ball State University, which is the the claim to fame at Ball State is David Letterman went there. So uh, there you go. Oh yeah, um, I always think of uh, what's that Coen Brothers film that's uh, the Hudsucker Proxy. The the main character Tim Robbins is that that actor's name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it is is from Muncie, and he's looking for like a Muncie girl. Oh yeah, and, that's right. Uh, yeah, I always think about that. That film fucking good rules, movie. So. Yeah, it's so good. I haven't seen it in a few years, but uh, I think that's Bob Hogue's favorite Co- Coen Brothers movie, or at least it was. Oh, like 10 he years loves ago. those Coen Brothers movies. Yeah, he. Yeah, he does. He got me into like I think I saw Miller's Crossing because of him. He was like, "You gotta, you gotta see all these," you know, and like. 
Um, so you get into the Coen brothers canon because of, you know, inspired by Bob Hope. His totally. Um, that's really cool that you know Bob. I love that. Um, yeah, he's the best. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to get to that in a little bit. Um, For sure. So, yeah, yeah. So my brother, yeah. So my brother, Liz and Muncy, he is the women's tennis coach at Ball State University. Oh, nice. Yeah. So there, and he's, you know, we grew up playing sports together and I did all these things in high school. I did wrestling and and basketball and hockey and golf and tennis just kind of a wide range of stuff and uh he did tennis and some other things and he kind of stuck with tennis and um ended up playing in college ended up becoming a a coach at Alabama he was like an assistant coach he was at North Carolina um and then he got a full-time job coaching at Ball State which is why it's been hard to get him to move although he does want to move out of Muncie because he is like he wants to be in a bigger city. But anyway, he's very happy there. Anybody at Muncie of Ball State right now, no, he's not trying to quit. He loves his job. But... <laughs> I'm sure all the Muncie, uh, the the Eagles are all, uh, I, I forget that's like what it was in Hudson. Go Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, Which is close. Yeah, so... they're, the, they're the Cardinals, but. <laughs> oh, okay, that's funny. Yeah, the, it's just funny because like I have probably like anywhere between 30 and 50 listeners of this podcast. And if any of them are from Muncie, Indiana, I, my mind will be blown. So yes, I wouldn't worry too much about your brother's cover. Being okay. I'm going <laughs> to blown. I'm really going to talk some shit about Muncie. Uh, well, that's, that's cool. You grew up playing sports and things like that. What was, uh, did you have any specific, like any sport that was like your favorite or that you felt like you had the biggest shot at, or was it just something you like to do to pass the time? Um, I had different phases. Uh, I was really, I ended up being pretty good at wrestling, but that was like a major time commitment. So I ended up not like rejoining my junior year. I was like, I did it for a couple years in high school. And then I was like, okay, this is like, cause wrestling season was like, it was like four months out of the year, four hours every day after school it was like but actually i played a lot i ended up playing a lot of golf really enough uh and i was even considering and was going to try to play golf in college at the university of finley oh really oh yeah but i uh ended up um i had planned to play there actually in the fall uh after my senior year of high school but i actually ended up really picking up the guitar that summer uh-huh. and i put down the golf clubs and i picked up my dad's guitar he had a book of uh guitar players dummies guide to play guitar or something you know like the the idiot's guide to like learn anything there's a million of those books one of them on my co- my dad's coffee table like dummies guide to play guitar and so that summer before I went to college, uh, I started to be like, oh, and I really like started to learn the guitar. My dad had an ovation acoustic that I would pick up and I started going through the chords. And I that's when I really fell in love with the guitar. And I was kind of like done with golfing uh, after that. Oh, really? 
I mean, I've golfed since, you know, and I do it probably like once a year, maybe at special occasions. Anyway. So what, so what did you do? How did you change your plans? You just decide not to go play golf and you went to school somewhere else. I still went to school there. I did. I went there for two years. And, oh, okay. Um, Cause I still had kind of like an academic scholarship thing as well. And like, uh, so anyway, so I ended up like still staying there, but not playing on the team, but I made some really good friends um, who are still uh, friends to this day. And uh, yeah. And I just played a lot of, I ended up really getting to, into music at that point. What did that look like when you're like a freshman in college and, and during your college years, like did, what bands were you playing with? What, what kind of gigs were you playing? You know, walk me through a little bit of that. At that point, it was really more kind of open mic type scenarios. Um, I had uh-huh. a, a group of high school friends who were also kind of learning and getting into music at the, a similar time. So I would come back from college, I'd visit and I would we'd get together and jam and we'd play like some Velvet Underground songs. And we played like, we had like a handful of different things on our, in our repertoire. I think we played like, I'm sure we played a Beatles song in there or something. And um, Mm -hmm. we were just like, let's play an open mic. So we were kind of still just getting our legs a little bit. We were kind of, I guess you could say we were pretty late to the music scene in that regard, you know, still Mm -hmm. just doing it in like late high school, early college years. But anyway, so that was, those were the early beginnings of it though not very exciting just going to coffee shops and then playing at each other's houses and and things like that and then uh about that time as well i was playing hand drums and congas with a, mm-hmm. a band as well in toledo so i would get on stage with them and i wasn't doing the singing or the guitar playing but i was uh i was hitting i was hitting hand drums that band was uh-huh. called the box of cats they may box of cats. still be around in uh toledo ohio i don't know oh. <laughs> we should look up their myspace <laughs> <laughs> yeah which is probably as as old enough as the band is and the, the considering the age of the guys in it who are probably like 50 at this point yeah that's probably still active for them um is MySpace still around? It's what I'm always asking. I don't think I think it officially died a few years ago. It officially did? Yeah, I think I mean there might be some like replicas of it or people have put like copies of the site up, but like I think MySpace as a business folded a few years ago. Okay. Like finally. Okay. Uh because they had a I remember probably five years ago or, you know, or I should say sometime in the past 10 years when MySpace was already dead, they like had, they tried to like come back. They had like a series of ads. It was like, they're like, MySpace is coming. I I remember like Pharrell from the Neptunes being on the ad and like, they're like, let's get back on a MySpace. This was like circa 2016. And then like, but apparently it was, it was short lived. Yeah, I think it was. I think uh, some people put a bunch of money into reviving MySpace. Actually, funny story, before I lived in New York City, I was in Salt Lake and someone I knew in New York was working for a media company that was like putting together videos for this new MySpace thing. And uh, somehow my roommate, Casey Kawaguchi, at the time, he's a graffiti artist. And then 
I like the two of us got chosen to like be in one of these MySpace videos where they like interview you and then like I performed a song or whatnot. Um, and so like we flew out to New York to do that and that was like and it ended up like being a fun trip but like nothing happened like like those videos I never saw that footage you never, you never even got to see them no never saw the footage or anything uh but it was like the flight back home or back to Utah that I I met the the woman who like I started dating on that airplane I started dating her and she lived in New York we ended and that's like why I moved to New York was because of that weird MySpace thing. Oh, really? Yeah, it wow. ended up being like this weird, uh, yeah, this weird, uh, just bunch of circumstances. That, and so yeah, that's MySpace, how I live in New York City MySpace now. MySpace brought you to New York. Yeah, in a weird way. <laughs> well, well, I'm glad it did. That's how we uh, we got to meet you and uh, have you over here on the East Coast. So you know, kudos. Yeah, for sure. It's good that it worked out. I'm glad I finally made it out here. But anyways, what's, uh, you started, what did it look like after, you know, this band did, did this group of guys that you were playing or, or people you were playing music with playing covers and open mics? Like how did that progress into eventually like playing shows? Did you ever do that with that band or what came next? So those kind of early years, I was still kind of getting my chops on the guitar and, uh, you know, kind of working on my voice and things like that as far as like what to sing and what you know things i liked and and also even learning how to write songs um was was still pretty new as well so uh -huh. i it wasn't until i moved out to the west coast uh if we want to call it that i moved to las vegas in 2007 and i played with a few i was actually went out to Las Vegas to play poker. And oh, really? I, also, I also brought my Ovation guitar and I met up with a couple of people out there through Craigslist. I found some musicians and we ended up getting together and we played, uh, we played at a first Friday in Las Vegas. That was my first introduction to like first Friday. I didn't even know what the heck that was from Toledo. Uh -huh. Um, and then a year later, I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, and then I really was like ready to be in a band and kind of be a more like major part of it in the songwriting and things like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, you went to Las Vegas because of poker? Were you playing professionally or did, was you just on like a binge? And I, ended up... uh, well, I, I had been actually, I had been playing until, um, living in Toledo, but I had been going to Detroit, Michigan, which is 45 minutes north, mm -hmm. and they have a, a cluster of casinos up there, MGM Grand and, and uh, Greektown Casino, which is in the Greektown neighborhood of Detroit, mm -hmm. right downtown. Um, so I would go up there on weekends, and I would play poker. I was really um, into poker. I was into Texas Hold'em, Omaha. This was like mid-2000s. Um, and I had been playing for a while actually, and I won, uh, I won some big money. I mean, not huge money, I shouldn't say, but big for me, it was like, you know, over $10,000. And I was like, 
I had been wanting to get out of Toledo. This is like every winter you're like, why am I here? I mean, it's the kind of place you don't really see the sun in the for like four or five months. Uh-huh. You can't tell if it's like morning or nighttime. You're like, what that you can because it's just like a gray pallor of clouds over the sky for from like basically October to like April. Uh uh-huh. so anyway, I was always like I was older, you know, I'm like 24. I'm like, Ah, I can live anywhere I want. Somewhere sunshiny, you know, and like, and I played poker and I'm looking, I'm like Las Vegas. I'm looking at the weather. Yeah. Like it's dry. It gets a ton of sunshine. It's, it's great. There's like it's poker, the desert. Yeah. all kinds of poker going on at all times. Like, so I won that money in Detroit and I was like, I don't know what got over me, but I was like, that's it. I'm going. I've like picked a date. For like four months in advance, I was like, I'm leaving in February. I'm going to Vegas, you know? And I mm-hmm. just like set that date and I went through with it. That's wild. I, I, what did it look like when you got to Vegas? Like what, what kind of poker did you get into? I mean, like this is like, there's an alternate universe where like you went to Vegas and like things just started going really, really bad. And you're just like Nicolas Cage from leaving Las Vegas. Like you're. <laughs> there's yeah. an alternate you you know like that could have gone a couple different ways like what was it like when you first got there that sounds wild <laughs> you're right it could have it could have went completely like absolutely terrible and i could have been like sent back to toledo in like a body bag uh or like <laughs> or i could or driving back you know three months later like dejected you know or i could have you know, won a million dollars and I'd be a different person as well. And then, but then yeah. there's even this other route where it was like, I played a lot of poker. I met all these great people. I ate amazing food. I saw all these great concerts, you know, Elton John, the Decemberist, Nas, all these bands I saw in Las Vegas because I had a lot of free time and all the bands go through there. Um, but instead I was like, oh, poker is, I don't know if poker's my thing. You know, I was kind of, was it was a little bit unfulfilling after a while and it wasn't uh-huh. uh but it led me to become a lot more um involved in music and it led me to also move from Las Vegas to another nearby desert city Phoenix uh-huh. uh which is where I met a lot of really really uh special people you know Arizona um yeah that's how that's how you and I are connected is because of our mutual Arizona friends. Yeah. So, and so, uh, so, um, yeah, playing poker is great. It's a, it's a fun, it's exciting winning money. It's, it's really great as a mental game. Um, and the strategy and the, the, the kind of the math involved with pot odds and things like that. It's a lot of sitting around at a table though for hours and hours. And you're mm-hmm. with like, Sometimes you're at a table with people who are actually I shouldn't say sometimes uh, most of the time you're at sitting at tables spending hours with people who are like not exactly that fun and you're like yeah they're like retired old guys who like barely smile you know they're like taking it too seriously or like life is just like not exciting for them anymore or like and you're doing that a lot, you know, and you're just like, huh, 
is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, am I supposed to just be kind of like sitting here and like not having a lot of fun, but it is fun to walk away when you have money? Uh, totally. You you have to like think about that kind of trade off and like, you're like, huh, is this what I really want to be like doing for like 20, 30 years? You know, just like. Yeah. I mean, it sounds super interesting, but also sounds like, it, yeah, it could be very unfulfilling. Yeah. It, it it is it is very there are a lot of interesting things about it but it's as as you do it a lot it just becomes like another job almost i guess mm -hmm. but like a job that's like stressful and is a grind and it doesn't have a lot a really doesn't have a ton of like super joyful moments i should say Mm -hmm. well playing music is a joyful moment almost anytime you go to a rehearsal you meet up yeah. with your bandmates i mean you can do simple things you you guys work on a new song together you go on stage together they're like so many joyful moments in that you know in contrast is what you know totally yeah i agree i think music is even on its worst days is just like so much fun Yes. And at least comparatively, uh, when you got to Phoenix, uh, what what did your relationship with the music scene like there end up being like? Like, how did you get involved? How long did it take to get you kind of plugged in to the, the scene that you ended up in? What, what did that look like? I got to Phoenix and I kind of uh, there was a lot of political things going on in Phoenix when I got there and I got kind of. Um, I, I don't want to say caught up, but I had, I met a lot of people who were going to these protests. Um, they had these kind of, they had a crazy sheriff out there who. Joe Arpaio. Oh yeah. Uncle Joe. Yeah. yeah fuck oh, yeah. that fucker. You know, Joe. <laughs> yeah. So Joe Arpaio, as soon as I get there, they're like, these people, they're like, we're going to this protest. Like Joe Arpaio is trying to like you know, round, round up these immigrants and just pull people over. And, and it was like all this crazy shit. I was like, what is going on? Cause Las Vegas did not have any political stuff on its mind, you know, like not in that regard at all. And yeah. I was, it was exciting. And I had some friends in that community. So I, I was like getting really politically active. I kind of already been a little bit political, uh, back in Toledo, mm -hmm. um, and already always a little bit interested in that stuff. Um, and so anyway, I was playing the guitar at the time. I was like, Hey, I need to be in a band. I need to find some music. I need to get out there. I ended up seeing a Craigslist ad. I had been like patrolling Craigslist being like, what the heck, who, who can I play with? What's going on? Mm -hmm. And I, um, found a Craigslist ad that was like, you know, upright bassist and mandolin player looking for looking for a guitarist who can harmonize and wants to sing socially conscious lyrics you know think woody guthrie mixed with the clash you know type stuff and i was like cool okay. <laughs> you're like that sounds that sounds dope and i was like this is good i'm like this is going to combine the like my love for music right now with uh like my need to be like to help political you know help social problems as well and so like mm -hmm. the idea of like i mean 
you can't really say you're like making big change by just singing songs about problems or whatever. Um, not that I want to discount that, but you know, at, at least I was like, I wanted to be a part of something that was involved in, in a lot of the social justice things that were going on. And this was, it was like this Craigslist ad I responded to. And later this band that formed was, um, it was that way to, play a lot of music and develop as a musician and make really fun harmonies and music videos with people, but also feel like we were, I was helping the world in a way somehow. Totally. Yeah, no, that's uh, and it, I mean, yeah, you should never, it's like being an older person means not discounting the, that's the singing and, and playing protest songs and the, and the value that has, but also being aware that it's like, you know, this, this fight is, is a many lifetimes worth of fight, you know? So you gotta, you, you can't expect the right song to just change things. You gotta just yeah. plan on being in the trenches forever. And you learn that as you're older, when you're younger, you're ideal about things. And it's, and it's, um, and sometimes I think that's what burns some people out is the idealism. And then other people learn to be like, no, this, like, this is a battle just as much inside myself as it is outside of me, you know? Oh. So you, you would say people being overly idealistic, they get that, that can potentially be a negative for them after like several years of, of like seeing the reality of the world or something. I, I'm just saying it's like, uh, I mean, not always, and some people can keep that that going, but sometimes you see like extreme swings in ideology from one extremist extremism to the other because like or like going from being very passionate about these things and then seeing nothing happen for over a decade, and then you get like blackpilled or whatnot where you're just like, "Fuck everything." You yeah, know, yeah, you yeah, see yeah. people turn that way or like I think a lot of the modern the young alt-right movement I guess young being like mid-20s and whatnot like Proud Boys and stuff like that like some of them and this is speculation but I imagine probably had very very different ideas of how they thought the world was and then it ended up being very different and they responded in a, in a different way than you or I did they went a different extreme absolutely uh, yeah but they got they get maybe cynical or jaded quick about it and they're like totally this is what this isn't what i was like told when i was like going through high school or you know this is what wasn't what i was getting indoctrinated with uh growing up this is like yeah that's a good point um thank you for clarifying that yeah totally i mean i uh i think it's all on a spectrum obviously you know and i uh but I, I think I can also be very cynical and that's the thing that saves me from being like, fuck everything. And I don't give a fuck anymore is being more on the side of uh, like, like this is, like I said, just, just as much a struggle within myself and within my community as it is nationwide or whatever, whatever the thing is, you know, and sometimes like the best thing to actually make a change is to start by like changing your behavior. Yeah. And that, you know, I, I feel like I've come become more self-conscious and, and that's led to being more socially active or just a better citizen because of my, my self-awareness. Yeah. 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 As I've I gotten like older. That. Yeah. You're like, I, you, you could feel overwhelmed by all these big problems and you're like, well, 
if I'm just doing something on a personal, in my day to day life, it, you're actually feeling like you are, uh, I don't know, you, if you're, you're changing it on a small level, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm not feeling helpless here. You know, like I can do totally. something about it. And it starts like right here and every day, the way I look at my, the world and, and the people I talk to. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you, you never want to come across as like preachy, especially me, but like, like for me, when it came to like a few years ago, I decided to like mostly quit drinking alcohol. Like I might, you know, partake every once in a while, but I mostly just like don't participate. And that was like a big, big part of that was a conscious decision for me to be like, oh, I'm better for all the people around me, not just myself. And it is, it does help myself also just to like abstain as much as possible, you mm -hmm. know, because like I just, I just become a better citizen. I'm less cranky. I say hi to my neighbors or, or you know, like, it's just like, I'm, and I'm bringing less negativity around because I'm not like hung over and it, you know, and like booze was just like a bad thing for me. It's not that way for everybody, but for me, it was just like yeah, getting for, in the for way. The of, part, yeah, though, for, for almost everything. <laughs> I mean, Take it from somebody who, you know, enjoys beer, but like, yeah, it's like alcohol. It, there's not a ton of positives somehow, you know, it's like we've normalized it so much in society, but it's like, uh, yeah, I yeah, mean, I, good things really is is it doing? I mean, it's like, it's literally like ninety ninety five five on like the bad things versus good things that alcohol does. You know, like as far as like ninety five percent bad, five percent good. You know, like totally. But if you're the dude who doesn't drink, saying that to a crowd of people that does, you just look like an asshole, and everybody hates you. So I just try and say it's like it's it's not my it was my problem to solve for myself it's not my problem to solve for anybody else and that's great yeah because that's why people get pissed off at vegans who are like <laughs> yeah yeah no it's true it's a. Uh, yeah i mean and and we all know it's like what's funny is like we all know vegans are like right you like you eat less meat and less animal product you feel better you look better like right. You probably live longer, you like mean, all these things. There's less greenhouse gases being, you know. Yeah, it's like, I know you're right, but also you're an asshole. Yeah, and I shouldn't say vegans. I mean, like, zealous vegans, let's say, you know. Yeah, yeah no. The, yeah, the zealous of anything, I you were, uh, you know. I yeah, but know. the time that I've eaten vegan for, like, a month, I, I definitely felt better. And I felt like I was better than other people, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but like we're not totally kidding <laughs> i don't want to take it to or i mean like, let's not get too into my my idealism on activism or whatnot but uh okay but, then, too late. but i do yeah i do love how uh how like that was your introduction into into the music scene in phoenix especially because like um uh, music scenes can all can a lot of times be kind of gatekeepy and, and be kind of hard to like or it's hard to find your people because you're like I know where to find shows but like you'll show up to certain shows and it's like this isn't my scene it's like hard to find your scene and so like that that's like a great just instant plug into like these are people who care about the things I care about you know they they probably like similar things that I like we've we grew up listening to Woody Guthrie or or, or like socially conscious music and so that's that's such a great way to just plug immediately into a scene uh what was the name of that band and and, and what was the journey of that band from when you first responded to the craigslist ad that band was the haymarket square okay so that became haymarket squares or were they already a band before you joined 
They had um question. Um can I use the restroom really quick? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay. I'm good. we're not live, right? No, we'll cut this out. <laughs> Dude, we'll make time. a note 35 minutes in. I'm gonna use the restroom too. <laughs> so the Haymarket Squares, were they already a band when you when you joined them or oh. they just had had started? They Mark Oxborough and Mark Simon, the uh, the bass player and the mandolin player who had posted that ad, they had played together in another band called the Black and Blue Review. Okay. And uh, that band had dissolved. Mark Sunman, who was a professional like skydive instructor, actually, he moved to Las Vegas. Oddly enough, he yet moved from Phoenix to Las Vegas while I was like moving to Las Vegas to Phoenix. And he was instructing skydiving up there. The Black and Blue Review had like dissolved because he was out of town living in Las Vegas now. And then he ended up then moving back to Phoenix. And that's where he met back up with bass player Mark, Mark Oxborough and was like, hey, let's uh let's get another band together um let's not do the black and blue review let's not get those people let's like start all over just you and me and we'll build from there Mm -hmm. and uh that was when they posted the ad and then i found the ad and responded to it and then we were a threesome and we were like okay let's let's make a new band so then that's where the haymarket squares came and the funny thing is, if you know the topics of the Haymarket Squares, I mean, or a lot of the song, a lot of the songs are very topical. They're very anti-establishment, anti-war, um, anti-organized religion. And like, basically almost like all of our first rehearsals were happening inside of a church, which I think was really, I thought was... <laughs> where, where was, what church was this? And... and... Yeah, I want to hear this story. I was living on the property of a Quaker meeting house in in Phoenix, Arizona, with a good friend of mine, and uh, who who was also a member of the Quaker Church, though, and very politically active. His name is Jason Odner. So him and I and some other people were living on the property. We were the caretakers of the property of the Quaker meeting house. Okay. We had access to this. We we lived in a house, but then next to the house was this like churchy thing i don't i it it wasn't it's not like a traditional church let's say but it's really beautiful inside and like the acoustics are amazing Uh we had access to that because we're supposed to set up the chairs for for church every uh every saturday and, and anyway and so we would break in to that and have rehearsal in there because the acoustics were so good that's awesome. <laughs> and we would craft songs uh, against organized religion within a establishment, uh, within a building of organized religion. So, well, I guess modern Quakers, if anyone's going to be kind of cool with that, I think modern Quakers are probably going to be kind of top of the list. Absolutely. As I far mean, as mo- like as far as Christian-based religions, yeah. they're going to be okay with that in America. I think quite modern Quakers are probably your best bet. Absolutely. They like 
half of the congregation ended up being like big Haymarket Squares fans, you know, like That's awesome. I, I think they even like kind of liked that we had we're rehearsing inside the meeting house, you know, like Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. They were I didn't know anything about Quakers. I mean, East Coast people over here in Philadelphia seem to know a lot more, but like Yeah. Uh I didn't know what? anything. I was like, what what are these people about? They go their service instead of having a standard like pastor or preacher or somebody like they kind of all sit there in silence and they're just in the room everybody's in there and they're quiet and they like have their eyes closed some people have their eyes open and then like every now and again somebody like stands up and says something like a random person from the congregation will be like they'll feel moved to like say something and they'll, they'll say this little thing then they'll like sit down and then they'll close their eyes and they'll like be quiet for like another minute. And then like somebody else will say something. And like, yeah, that's the, that's like 45 minutes of prayer. It's like quiet, quiet, quiet. Somebody says something quiet, quiet, quiet. Somebody says something. And then like, that's it. I mean, like, I what didn't a know that. That's idea amazing. For, anyway. I love, no, I love that. There's, there's a metaphor there for songwriting or creativity, I think, in that, like, it's almost like they're letting the congregation become the conduit. And like, I feel that way with creativity is like a lot of times, unless I'm sitting down and I'm like, man, I need to write a fucking song or like, you know, sometimes it's just the crossword puzzle of like, putting pen to paper and figuring it out. But other times I just feel like something's just coming through me and it just like happens. And it's like, oh, yeah. there's there's the thing, you know, and, and like, and I'm not very religious, but like, that's a, that's almost a spiritual experience, you know, and, and to, I don't know, I think, I don't know tons about Quakers. I just know that they've definitely chilled out in the past few hundred years. Cause wasn't the Scarlet Letter, isn't that, are they Quakers in that? I don't know about that one. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know either way. I do remember reading that, but, uh, but you're you're right. Quakers are known pacifists. Uh, my friend Jason, who I was living with, he would often tell me, "Oh, the Quakers are known for they cut down during the Revolutionary War. They they cut down really big tree trunks or bit really big trees, and they put the the tree trunks like on the hillside, like oh. in, at, like made them look like they were cannons." Oh, really? Because they were pacifists, but they were trying to, like, ward off the British from, like, invading this area. So they, like, put all these tree trunks that what made them look like cannons set up on the hill so that these, like, British boats would be afraid to, like, get too close to the, where they were. They were That's actually, amazing. Yeah. That's – where was this? Sorry. That – somewhere on the East Coast. Okay, uh, I was just looking. And, up... and I feel like it was during the Revolutionary War era. Uh huh. But they were they're pacifists, but there was like this war going on, and then they're like, we don't want to get invaded, but we're also not going to like shoot people who are trying to invade us, evade us, or invade us. So they're like, okay, well let's let's make it look like we're fortified here, you know, and like make it look dangerous. That's man. That that seems like a a fucking. Um, <laughs> that's like an eighties movie. Like, like that's, that's like Caddyshack. Like <laughs> that's really interesting. The, I can't believe that Quaker is still a religion in 
America because it just seems so non-American. Like that story, like like pacifism just isn't even in the fucking. That's a great point. Yeah, you're like we and and we don't really talk about that that much in our like history books growing up. You know, you're like the Quakers are like barely mentioned. Yeah, well, and like yeah, I was just looking it up. Pussies, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Scarlet Letter, they're Puritans. I don't know if it says specifically, but I don't think Quakers and Puritans are the same thing. So oh, okay. I don't know if anybody anybody knows more about that. A dirtbags guide at gmail.com, I think, is my email address. Anyways. Yes. Uh, so this Quaker church became. Yeah. I mean, did you grow up religious at all? Like, how, how did you? I, I, and how did I, grew, your... I grew up Roman Catholic. Um, okay. I, I should say I'm baptized and, and things like that, but I, I'm not like, I wasn't, you know, we would go to church on like Christmas, you know, or Christmas, Christmas Eve or something, Easter. you know, and we yeah. would like, we'd go like a couple times a year. It wasn't crazy. My parents were kind of, um, I think a little bit or, or conscientious about not raising us too strongly either way. Oh, okay, um, cool. And then we became like, hellions because of that but um otherwise i mean i became a hellion for the opposite reason because i was raised pretty pretty strictly oh yeah there it is and that and you have a lot uh in common with the members of the a lot of the members of haymarket squares who were like also very they came from super strict um religious backgrounds uh mormon and then yeah that's my background hardcore evangelical yeah mormon because you're from like eastern arizona right or somewhere around yeah totally up in sholo pine top yeah oh my god lots of mormons up there damn so you're Um, one of the you're there is a healthy contingent of people in the southwest utah arizona but people who grew up hardcore mormon the rest of their family is like still in the in the cult and they got out though. They like did the exact one eighty. Totally. Well, like my my immediate family mostly, or like we all left like at the same time. Oh, really? So that's yeah, that's like a lucky thing. I have I have like cousins and and aunts and uncles and whatnot that are still very much very hardcore Mormon. But like my mom and step my stepdad was never part of it. But my mom and my siblings, we all kind of left around when I was fifteen. So. Um, I have kind of like a unique or like a multi like dimensional perspective on it, I guess, because like I came up in it, but also at around the time I started really questioning it, I was able to like kind of run with that because I, I kind of started seeing through the bullshit and saw and I wasn't like being forced force fed the the propaganda every Sunday and whatnot. Well, so, I was going to say what kind of what led your family um, away from that? It was a lot of things. Um, my my like birth father was very involved in the Mormon church and like his side of the family is like the one that still is. My oh, mom yeah. kind of like married into it. And then when they when they didn't really marry into it, she was kind of Mormon. She converted and then they got married, but she was like 19 when she converted, I think. And so um, when they divorced, like he, they divorced, he went to prison and like, and then we were because it's such a patriarchal religion we like she tried to keep us in it and whatnot but because she was like a single mom it just kind of like we we were just like uh 
I don't know, outsiders, like othered in a way. Yeah. And, it, and it, we just all started getting, cause he was kind of high up in the church and they weren't really like, people didn't really like that. We, that he was in prison and we were all not and whatnot. Oh my God. And, uh, so you got, they like outcasted you. Yeah. Kind of like, I mean, yeah, it took, it took a few years of us finally just being like, we don't want to deal with this shit anymore. We, and I don't think anyone was like really aggressively trying to do it. It just became that way. You know, like sometimes a lot of, yeah, I mean the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Like a lot of times, you know, like other, other men in the church would try and treat me like fatherly or, or like, like say like, just say shit to me that like they had no business saying because I didn't have a dad around, you know, and Ooh. shit like that. And I eventually kind of got to the point of like, fuck you. Like, I don't, Jesus. you know, and then, but also simultaneously telling me like, Oh, you, you know, I was like 10 years old when my dad left and they're like, you're the man of the house now. So you're like at 10 years old having to like take on this huge responsibility. Right. But like, you know, it was just like kind of a total. You're gonna have to get a job right now in finance. You know. Yeah. No. Totally. And like my, I think my whole family kind of, after a number of years, kind of felt really ostracized and othered, and we all kind of decided to just like not be involved with that shit anymore. And yeah, it was a great decision. Feel very fortunate about you know. So fortunate, yeah. like when you break out of that stuff, it's like, yeah, I, I yeah because. I mean, it's like I, people in my family are, some of them are still kind of religious, you know, they're not, they're not Mormon by any means. And it's like, and I don't hold that against anybody, but when you get out of something that's that hardcore or like fundamentalist in any way, yeah, you kind of realize like the absurdity of it. And you're just like, mm. like, just, I mean, I remember like a grown man when I was a kid, I was a teenager, a grown man telling me that dinosaurs didn't never existed and that when god and i don't know if this is mormon like doctrine but this is what some mormon leader told me that like when god made um made earth he took like parts and bits and parts from other planets to like create earth and that's where dinosaur bones came from where like they were like they were like aliens oh which was and i remember being like 13 and being like you're the dumbest motherfucker i've ever met <laughs> like you know what i mean just be like what the fuck is wrong with you and but like i'm also supposed to like listen to that person when they're trying to give me like advice about like god or whatnot or you're supposed to like meet with sorry i'm, I'm going off about this but no, like you're right because they say it, they, they're saying these really absurd kind of tales and they're saying it with such kind of definitive, such conviction or certainty about it. Like this is this thing, you know, like I, I yeah. it reminds me of a, like a meme I recently saw of somebody on Facebook who's somehow a friend of mine, but they were like, <laughs> they, the meme was like, the new Testament is not mythology. It's not storytelling. It's not uh, like, you know, allegory, blah, blah, blah. It's fact. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Huh. I'm like the, the, oh no, sorry. It wasn't New Testament. It was gen, like the book of Genesis or some shit. Genesis. Like, I'm like, wow. The book of Genesis is just fact. A hundred percent. You're, you're saying like, there's something wrong there to like, feel that sure about something that is so not sure you know it's the farthest thing from being sure about 
Yeah, totally. I mean, even the Mormons were like, at least when I was growing up, they were like, well, we believe in the Bible, but it was trans, it's been translated so many times that like, we don't feel like it's like the truest form of, a, of like word from God. The book of Mormon is that, you and know, they, um, at least they were real about that. They're like, the Bible has been retranslated and, and, and so many times, you know, like parts redacted, you know, and like that, you know, a bunch but, of but it's also like about what was put into it. It's like this weird level of gaslighting, though, where they're like, "We're gonna, we're gonna prevent you with this amount of skepticism in for this specific thing to make you think that, like, I mean, Alex Jones, people like that do this. Propagandists do the same shit, where we're like, "We're yeah. gonna show you why this is ridiculous," right? But then present you our thing as being like, "This is it. This is the thing. Oh. This is truth." You know, and it's like it's like abusive. It's like love bombing. You know, it's like oh. this. Um, I don't know. It's it's like it's, look, it's we know what's going on because look, nine eleven was an inside job. We know, see, we know what's going on. You can trust us. And then they're like, now here's our little side hustle that we're gonna now present as like gospel, you know. But they've like brought you in by being like, look, we're in the know. We know everything's fake, you know. Totally. Well, like, so I mean, and this is this is gonna get meta because I'm gonna talk about another podcast on my podcast. But uh, <laughs> there's there's this podcast I listen to a lot called Knowledge Fight. Are you familiar with Knowledge Fight? I do not know it off the from the name, but maybe. So, like, Knowledge Fight are these two uh, comedians, I think, from Chicago that uh, they pretty much like do like a rewatch podcast of like all Alex Jones content pretty much, or like a lot of it. Oh, so there's like three episodes that. a week and they've watched so much Alex Jones that like they're a Jordan's able to be like, I think Jordan's the one I get their names confused, but uh, it's funny. Cause I listen to a lot of it, but essentially I guess, so they'll just kind of re those pause. Like they'll be like, they'll play a clip and they'll pause it and be like, this is Alex does this, this, and this, this, and he's lying here because like, if he was being true to his actual worldview, he would say the globalists are doing this, but no, this fits his narrative here. You know, and it's just like really interesting. And, and you kind of, you see like how he gaslights his audience and how he milks them for more money and things like that. And then, but lately they've, I've watched, listened to recently a couple episodes of them going over Kanye West on, or Yay West or whatever on <laughs> on Infowars and then also on you know when when Yay's saying all this like pro Nazi I love Hitler stuff and it's like insane shit and then like Alex Jones won't play along with that because even he's like no that doesn't fit my brand you know like even I'm anti Nazi like oh. uh even though he's kind of supports ideas of white supremacy and all these things, but right. he can't like have, but he can't have like the hood on or off. So does, you know, like the oh. cake, you know, so like it doesn't work with his brand, but like, it's funny like, because you said he, it, not me. You know, no, like, totally. But like, but he, keep going. <laughs> and this is super inside baseball. Anyone listening, I'm sorry if you think this is really dumb, but you should listen to those episodes. Cause it kind of really makes you, it like gives a lot of perspective to the shit that's going on with yay and how fucked it all really is. But like Nick Fuentes, this this pro Nazi person who's running with Yay right now, essentially like because Alex Jones wouldn't like back them up on the anti-Semitism stuff, like is now saying that Alex Jones is like backed by 
globalists like like oh. jewish globalists that like run the media and stuff okay. like that and so like they've just oh. that quickly turned their like stabbed now, him in the back with the now whole he's a now he's conspiracy. now he's a part of the conspiracy he's, a, he's, it's just he's like, actually a rothschild that's right oh okay yeah totally sorry <laughs> this is just a long backwards thing of saying like it's just like the it, the narrative changes so fast and i don't even know how we got onto this i'm sorry to anybody listening <laughs> <laughs> No, but it, 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 for some reason, I just think about like QAnon or whatever. And I just think of, I don't know why, but I think of how some random person is posting as QAnon and all these people are believing it. There's like and just no credentials. Blown. There's no like proof that this person knows what's going on. They're like, they, the QAnon has been wrong about all these things. You're like, Donald Trump didn't actually lose the election. Now he's going to actually take the throne. You know, like months go by and nothing happened. You're like, but anyway, all these people believe these like uncredited sources, I guess. Anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, it's um, Alex Jones being being one of them, you know. Totally. And they, I mean, I guess what to, to tie it all back into religion is like when your brain's been wired that way, you know, when at a young age, you've been wired to believe in this, this like outside mystical shit, which like, I'm not saying that there's no truth to like spirituality or whatnot. We don't know what's going on. I don't know if there's a God or not, but I will say when your brain has been set up to like fire in this way of believing in a higher power and like and someone some people knowing the truth and other people not knowing the truth and yeah. stuff like that it just it just makes it an easy template for propaganda and conspiracies to just like people just drop right in there and they're like they're because their brain already like makes those connections in a way oh. because of because of like religious trauma and shit like that oh. wait you're you're saying that <laughs> i mean yeah, I'm uh, I, okay, but sorry. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. That's why I'm like, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot to unpack there. That's why I'm like, okay. Um, yeah, we can also just skip ahead to back to, or skip back to you talking about. No, well, what is it? What is your ultimate thesis? There is what what I, what I guess you you uh, are finalizing that with that that religious that the religious uh kind of thesis that you had right there oh i guess the ultimate thing is like that's that's part of why american culture is like a is such a slippery slope into like fascism or these extreme ideologies because of um because of like the pre-programmed ways we are to just believe like a a leader and a um a strong man or oh, or someone that, who's yeah. in the know so we're pre-programmed with religion to like follow 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 a little bit blindly and and kind of totally and just to go based on faith and make wild like beliefs outside of scientific beliefs just because they're because of like a hunch or because they think somebody who they want to believe tells them and like some people just think fauci looks like a a lame doctor like loser like like what coastal elite and they don't want to believe them and it's easier for them to believe someone who seems to be more culturally on the pulse of like of them where they come from i guess i don't know yeah I'm kind of and, stretching <laughs> yeah and that's uh 
Yeah, that's unfortunate. That's that's a that's a whole vein of uh, like anti-intellectualism uh, that has kind of been a part of the American fabric for the past 50, 100 years, maybe for a lot longer. But you got people who, you know, they don't actually want to learn stuff and they don't actually want to know the truth there. And they, they grow up in a maybe a certain amount of ignorance or naive uh, worldview. And probably there's probably a lot of people in the U.S. who are in charge of things that actually kind of like it that way. So, Oh, yeah. I think, I mean, American culture exists in a lot of ways by design, you know, and, it's, and I don't know if it's exactly like, and the, the problem is, is it's like, it's just kind of like one nefarious thing after, like, I, I don't know, this is where we're, I'm getting in over my head, but like, I don't <laughs> think it's where it's like a boardroom of 12 people or the way like that yay and Nick Fuentes or whatnot want you to believe that it's like this like globalist jewish agenda or whatnot it's like i don't think it's some boardroom making decisions like that it's not that nefarious right um, i think it's just like a thing that's just based on based on these principles of capitalism and like profits at all at all costs no worry of the human cost and like precedent of just like horrible atrocities and just built on this agenda of white supremacy in a way that like this is where we ended up, you know, like there's just kind of a natural progression and, and society and culture, it just kind of keeps churning out this shit because yeah. it's like what it's all based on. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It is based on all those things, white supremacy, uh, male dominance. I mean, you have, and it, it is from the starting of the country, 1776. And even before that, you know, the colonizing of this, this land is, is on, uh, on bad terms you know the idea of like and then talking about this land like it was discovered or uh yeah just pure erasure and genocide through like not only just killing hordes of people but also just erasing culture absolutely and i mean can you imagine the history here it, for thousands and thousands of years i mean we're like this building was built in 1702 like it's so historic you're like yeah, there was like literally indigenous people here for like 10,000 years before that who probably had like all kinds of crazy shit happening and, and stories and, and heroes and, and, you know. Yeah, what little we do know of what's up to those cultures is like, I've, I mean, it's like almost a, not a trope. It's like, not almost like, it's like, I mean, I find it all super, uh, I'm trying to not say the wrong thing, but like, <laughs> it, there's almost like a joke of like people like appropriating what little we know of it and making it like this, like insanely mystical thing when like what we do know about it is so interesting. And so that what's left of these cultures is, I mean, what's sad is it just gets turned into like ignorant people in headdresses at music festivals and shit like that. <laughs> Um, that's all I was trying yeah, to say, I, I'm I guess. Laughing, but I, I, I just, they're, they're, but we're also too, I can't help but laugh at that. That's, that's what it gets like distilled into. Uh, unfortunately, um, I don't, I also yeah. like, don't think, 
I don't know if I'm the, I, I don't know if we're, we're treading a little outside of the waters of what this podcast normally, I mean, we're, we're always kind of close to it, but we never dive super this deep in. Well, it's your podcast, so it's the the burden is on you to direct it how you I want know. it to go. It's, it's, I mean, it's you're literally the captain of the freaking cruise ship. You're like, where do you, do you want to go down here to the Bahamas, no. or do you want to go back up to like Savannah? <laughs> all, all I'm saying, it's up to I you. know, I know, and that's the thing is like, I just I just kind of like to take it for. I just keep going. And if I get encouraged, I well, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I'd want to take it back to you in in Phoenix and Haymarket squares and like your experience of sounds like that was your first experience, like building a band from scratch, not from scratch, but like, you know, like yeah. that you guys, I guess you were from scratch. I guess those guys were playing together yeah. ahead of time. Just tell me about like the experience of like the, when you started the first show you played all the way till like when you, the last show you played. Well, that first show we played on that building, on that property, that was the Quaker house that we lived in the meeting house there was another building and it, it's called uh fiddler's dream and actually um it might still be there and they would have a lot of it was like a coffee shop folk music venue that would have honestly they would book some like they booked like harry chapin and they cool. like what part of yeah, phoenix were you in the people that were like what, was what part of phoenix were you in at this point or this is like North Central Phoenix. Okay. So Glendale Avenue and uh, Glendale Avenue and the, not the 17, uh, 51. Gotcha. I don't know. For that for all the uh, Phoenicians out yeah. there. Uh, <laughs> um, so like, so anyway, we played our first show at that place. They had like an open mic on like Thursday nights, this like super tiny little like, cute coffee house trailer thing that can only fit like you know 25 people in it it was like these this super intimate cozy show like the haymarket squares we had been practicing in the meeting house you know for like a couple months we're like here we go and like went up there and did like 30 minutes up there and uh they asked us not to come back again really and uh <laughs> because did they really ask you not to come back again because we have a lot of, there was like some F-bombs dropped. This is like a wholesome kind of full <laughs> coffee house venue that's like, yeah. We, 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 uh, there's, there's a lot of punk rock going on with the Haymarket Squares, uh -huh. you know, where it's upright bass, it's mandolin, it's acoustic guitar, but it was like. It's like folk punk, like. Yeah, it, it was like cuss words, it was off offensive, it was. Uh, I I don't want to say irreverent, but it, it had some moments of being irreverent. Uh -huh. uh, and so anyway, but then later they were Fiddler's Dream. Like a year later, they're like, "Oh, you guys could play here again if you want." Or, or, or <laughs> I don't know what the hell happened. But That's funny. You got they, that. they were like, "You can't cost it. You know, you got to cut out the." Well, we have a song. We have a, a signature song, Haymarket Square song called "Let's Get Fucked Up." Oh, nice. And it's. Yeah, and it's the, the lyrics are "Let's get fucked up tonight, let's get fucked up tonight. <laughs> this world is going to hell. We will drink to the lull as well. Let's get fucked up tonight." So that was like the that's the opening of that song. <laughs> <laughs> it was on our our like it was on our like eight song set list. We're like we gotta play it. We only know eight songs. Let's <laughs> and so that's awesome. It, it, it was all adults there. I mean, come on, these these people. 
Yeah, it's like, what the fuck? Are you in Utah or something? I Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I get self-conscious about because I say the F word in a lot of my songs. It just happens to be there, you know, uh, and it seems to be the right word to say at the time. And uh, yeah, sometimes people were like, I, I could do without the cussing or whatnot. And uh, I'm just like, we're all adults. And I get self-conscious. No, I when I'm outside of Utah, I'll be like, hey, I'm, oh, I'm sorry about swearing or whatnot. And people like, don't give a fuck. And I'm like, oh, I lived in Utah for like 10 years. So people don't like if they don't even if they're not mormon they say something about you cussing between songs sometimes i feel like it's really like there's kids here and like i don't give a fuck about your kid (laughs) oh my god you're like and all you want to tell them is literally you're probably only hearing like 25 percent of the words anyway how many of the words do you think your kids are really listening to yeah totally and also um yeah why why is your kid at a bar I had and that. <laughs> why do I gotta police myself because your kid's at a bar? If it's like right. I don't mind kids being at a bar, but just understand that there's like drunk adults at bars. They're gonna hear fuck. They're gonna hear things and see things, you know. So a bar is not a place I can count on one finger how many times my parents took me to a bar growing up with them. Yeah, my parents being Mormon, there was not there were no bars. <laughs> yeah. You don't if my parents took me to a loud show, if they took me to a freaking like concert, oh, we're gonna go watch, I don't know, Billy Idol. Mm-hmm. It's freaking nineteen eighty eight. Yeah, know, like better believe like if somebody's cussing, my 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 parents weren't like, watch your mind, you know, like you know what you got your shit into. Here yeah, totally. You know, uh, um, well, so that was your first show. You got kicked out of the venue for a year, uh, or you weren't allowed, you weren't asked <laughs> back for a so, year. <laughs> yep. So we kept playing, um, and we we ended up uh, we got into this band contest that we wanted to like. We were just like, we have all these songs that the world needs to hear. You know, we were like on a crusade about it. Uh-huh. Um, As you should be. We got it. <laughs> what was As that? you should be. <laughs> uh, we got into a band contest. Phoenix was just getting this light rail. Uh-huh. Uh, which I'm sure you know about. Yeah. The freaking they were Phoenix is finally like, oh, we're gonna have a train. And it was like 2000 and freaking 10. Yeah. Uh and yeah, meanwhile, New York had had subways for like 150 years. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like, We're getting a train. It's gonna take 15 years to get them in. The track's gonna go 35 feet, you know? <laughs> yeah. And nobody's going to use it uh, because everybody in Phoenix drives a car. I'm sure people use it now, but at first it just seemed like, yes, I think it's a great idea. It, I just think Phoenix is a type of place that is pretty resistant to public transit. Absolutely. The whole city was built around the automobile, yeah. you know, um, it's like super long stretches of road. Um, so the contest was, or it was a thing where bands play on the light rail oh cool so you played on the light rail and then you're like it was like you and a couple bands and you're like vote for us like 
we want to play and like the winner plays at McDowell Mount Music Festival and blah, blah, blah. So we like were into that and we won that contest. Like we had this cool video of us playing on the light rail that was brand new and only moves at like five miles per hour. Nice. Uh, and that's some folk. We, like, that's really contest. folk punk, though. You're, you're on a train playing folk punk music on a train. It's it was a really fitting. cool series. Yeah, it, I bet. I, I'm trying to find these videos because it wasn't even just cool. Um, it wasn't even – I'm not even just saying it was cool for us. It was um, It was really neat for – sorry, my, my battery is getting low here. Hold on. Oh, you're good. Um, it, there was a lot of different bands that were a part of it. It was really this really kind of interesting project. And so I really do want to find those videos. Um, but it was very full punk. It was, it, I don't know. I just kind of, I like those kind of videos where music is being played in like some like unorthodox setting, you know, I don't know why. Totally. Anyway. And so, um, but, so you but want- we, were, we were amongst like 20 other bands that did it. So that's why <laughs> I, I want to find the other videos. Cause I remember there being some really good ones. There was a group out of Bisbee, Arizona called uh, Nowhere Man and a Whiskey Girl. And oh, nice. uh, I remember really loving their their video on that that like light rail music series. So anyway, I'll find it and I will send it to you. Please do. That would be awesome. Uh, so you, you won that. You played McDowell Mountain Music Festival, which is like a pretty big music festival in Arizona. That's like one of the bigger ones. Yep. Um, yep. That experience. That. Like, and, do you mind us smoke, smoke weed? Oh, no, go for it. Um, we played that that time, and then years later, we played it again when it was a lot bigger. We played it again in 2016. And when we, when oh, we nice. won that contest, it was probably 2010. So about six years later, we played McDowell Mountain Music Festival. That's when it was big. Then it had like back at the show then it had oh cool Good brothers you know it had like uh there were some other people gary clark jr and blah 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 so like there were like all these cool people that we got to like say we played with or, or you know i don't want to i don't know how you say that you shared a stage with shared a bill with yeah <laughs> so that was and that was really fun it was i mean there's there's nothing like playing a really big show like that where the the sound system is just gorgeous the monitors are like right there giving you all the sounds of everybody in a perfect volume and it's like yeah you've got like 10 guys who are making sure everything sounds beautiful and yeah and you know you're up on this high stage and there's a bunch of people out there in the crowd and people are there specifically just to like have an awesome time all day you know they're like we're here for 12 hours we are just gonna love the music we're gonna have fun we're gonna eat a bunch of food you know whatever so mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a special environment and yeah. yeah grateful that we were able to do it that's really cool uh what what did you um like I imagine you moved to Philadelphia at some point. So when, when, how did the, 
Haymarket Squares come to a close or a hiatus? Like, what? How did that come about? Haymarket Squares ended up. Uh, we stayed together. I stayed with the Haymarket Squares. We founded the band, and I stayed with them for eight years. Uh, we had toured the U.S. We had toured Western United States several, many, many times. We went to Europe. Uh, and did a really fun tour in in uh, Belgium and the Netherlands. Um, and then we made four albums. We had been touring a bunch, and it was like, okay. Uh, I had all these other songs that I had been working on in the background, and. Mm-hmm you when you when you play a certain style of music when you only have you know you have a certain instrument arrangement uh there are songs that don't go with that uh yeah totally so you've got an upright bass we've got a mandolin we're playing we have slide guitar we're playing it's like folk punk so there's not really a lot of room for like electric rock or funk rock or uh you know jazz or whatever um even electronic music for example so i had all these other songs that i had worked on as a songwriter in the background some of those songs were able to fit into the haymarket squares uh ethos and then a bunch of them weren't and i was i started to be like all right i i you know i've been with the squares for a while like i got a lot of these songs sitting over here i need to take what i've kind of done with these guys and go on to another level or to a different place mm-hmm. so i eventually left the squares still very good friends with all the guys in the band which is great and we actually played a reunion show this year in april we uh oh, dope. back in arizona and i'm planning to be back in arizona for another reunion show like first week of march so watch out people of flagstaff arizona um, or Phoenix, Arizona, or even Tucson, potentially. Hell yeah. Um, and that's going to be a Haymarket Squares reunion. Um, you know, you were with Haymarket Squares for eight years. You were ready to to try something something new. Like, how did that come about? Uh, did, I know you got you got married in that time, or have you you've been married for a while? Um, got got married uh 2017 which was actually right about around the time that i was uh leaving the haymarket squares and and starting the new band that i had was working on it was called the hot house orchids Mm -hmm. um and that's where that was kind of a, a brainchild of me uh mike logan who's kind of a really amazing, really super special guy. He's a great guitarist, uh, but also he's just a brilliant mind. He's actually the creator of Wayne Fest, which is this like really awesome festival that's been going on for several years now in Phoenix. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. They've had, and they have, they've had like, uh, let me pull up the lineup. Um, but anyway, or the lineup that they had this year. But anyway, so he was, he became the guitarist and I had known him from the welcome diner. 
and then um we had some spot. other people we we uh pulled a bass player together we pulled a drummer aaron halverson bass player gabe santion and uh we made the hothouse orchids and cool yeah and that was that was and actually we even originally had a singer named kelvin harper who's this really great guy from uh phoenix as well um so I had all these songs. I was like, you know what? I'm going to play them on the piano. I, I don't think I can sing and play them on the piano at the same time very well. I need someone else to sing. We had Calvin sing. Uh-huh. Uh, as time went on, there were some lineup changes. Uh, and Calvin decided that uh, maybe he didn't want to be a part of it. And uh, we, I decided to just take singing and uh playing the piano by myself and with the rest nice. of the guys doing other stuff yeah they had yeah some sorry go ahead i just said sometimes it's like that's the the route you take when when uh you know it's like consolidating sometimes is, is the move it's like well if i can do both of these things it's easier than having another no matter how great the person is having another person in the room just sometimes complicates things even more so Yes, and yeah, and you, there was some other stuff, to be like not super real about it, but there ended up being like some band drama, there ended up being like some conflicts of, I got to give you a little bit of the gossip here, you know what I mean, I can't, I can't leave you completely in the dark, there, there was, you, I mean, you tell me what's, uh, what you feel comfortable telling me. (laughs) <laughs> but the but the listeners want it all you know <laughs> yeah um, i'm sure they do <laughs> well we had kelvin and kelvin is this amazing guy and i'm like this dude is an a, just a super talented front man mm-hmm. and a super amazing guy and i'm like you know we we had worked on some music in the past and it was really great and we resurrected a song we worked on from years before i don't know for whatever reason i called him up i was like let's work on that song from like five years ago and then we made it into a song Mm -hmm. and we start we got mike logan in there with us and um it was it was great, but, uh, you know, Kelvin was, he kind of had his ideas of the way things should be. And he's like, it's gotta be this way or nothing at all. And it was like, okay, this is not exactly that kind of band. It's, it's a little more like, let's, let's see what we all want to do and decide from there. And he was totally. And so there was a, you know, there was that very, uh, cliched idea of like ego an ego kind of getting in the way of some things gotcha anyway sorry to go off not not too much of a divergence but uh that sometimes is the the way it goes you know sometimes someone wants more credit or power than their than the rest of the people are willing to give it and like i think of that I, I used to love this movie when I was younger. I haven't seen it in years and I don't know if it's like great, but I, I really used to dig it when I was younger. And it was that the, 
that film that thing you do about the band from Erie, Pennsylvania that blows oh, yeah. up in you know the Tom Hanks flick. Uh yeah. and uh um one of the when like the drummer meets the his jazz icon that he loves when he's out in LA and he's like, Oh man, we me and the band we've only been together a couple months and the drummer's like this this old jazz dude's like yeah some you know some bands i've been in that's a couple months too long you know and it's just like he's <laughs> like bands they come and go you know and it's like i love every person that i've ever played music with but sometimes it just like that that story runs its course and it's time to move on otherwise Ooh. otherwise you know when you hold on too tight or whatnot that's when feelings start to get hurt or, or things can, can kind of go sour or whatnot so yeah it's it's a it's a relationship you know, and it's totally you can find an allegory for any like one on one personal relationship you've had with it. And a band is that, you know, at, at first it's amazing. And then after like time goes on, people like get a little more comfortable and become themselves in a way, which is like, or like you see like the real them, you know, and it's like, uh-huh. you're like, oh, wait, is. I don't, this isn't what I thought we were going to be like, wait, what's going on here? You know, like, totally. or, or you're too, you become, you see that you're two plants growing in different directions. You know, you're like some of the people in the band are like, let's go record. And the other, another person or a couple other people are like, no, 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 let's just stick only to live shows you know like let's do this and both yeah. people feel like really strongly they're like no no we definitely need to record with bob hogue at flying blanket like we're gonna do this in the next six months and the other people are like or the other person is uh i don't know i'm not gonna do that i don't want to do that i'm not ready and you're like okay well this is obviously going to be a point of division here yeah i mean i try to uh I mean, what what do you try and do with with bands you're in now? Do you, uh, like, what have you learned in dealing with those sorts of things as a as a band leader, as a band member? Uh, do you have any advice or, or or things that you use to like work on on those situations? I guess. Yeah, I I guess try to. I I don't know actually. I'm uh. I guess try to not you know i i guess be opening to listening to other people i guess probably the most important thing uh totally just be like okay this is my idea for this part like i think it'd be cool this way if other people like well what about this or what about this you're like oh okay like i under that could be cool let's try it i'm it's Mm -hmm. being less attached to being like i need to have it my way it's and more just like let's just find the right way or like the thing that sounds best or let's like do the best idea i don't know totally but i'm not i'm not perfect at it and i don't even know if that's the the best takeaway from that but anyway no i think it's great advice i think being open to other ideas and listening to other people you know but also you know sometimes there's certain hills that you got to die on or that you you know there's certain things you got to be like no i don't i'm not changing that you yeah, know? yeah you know you and, and like that right you get you're not always going to be like because everybody's totally. going to have a suggestion too like what if we do this and then like what if we do this you're like okay we have to just go we're going to go with this all right you know or or like you said 
no, I, I hear it this way and it, it, it has to have this thing. Like that's a definitive part of the song. Like it's a non-negotiable, you know, it, it needs hand claps at this part. (laughs) Something as stupid as that. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, that, that's, I guess that brings me to, you know, the band you're playing with now, uh, wonder house you're are you would you consider yourself like the band leader for this band uh are they mostly songs you wrote like what's the dynamic of this band this band is is definitely um probably 50 50 songs that i've written and then we have another 50 percent that come from other members in the band um uh-huh. uh especially another primary songwriter is we got a really amazing bass guitarist or sorry, bass player, upright bass, uh-huh. um, Topher Horner. And uh, he and I met, how did we meet? You guessed it on Craigslist. Uh, <laughs> and we like found each other. It was like, the pandemic was waning and like people were starting to go out and be like, Hey, let's play music again, you know? And, uh, we found each other on Craigslist and he's like, I got these songs. I'm like, I have these songs. I'm like, I'll sing the songs. He's like, yes, you sing the songs. I don't want to sing. Um, but he does sing harmonies. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what it is. It's a lot of, hothouse orchid songs i brought some of those into the mix turn the Mm -hmm. band on party with you parade um and then we've got some really great songs from him he's a big uh kind of grateful dead fan and he's got some really beautiful songs that i think kind of capture a lot of that spirit um but anyway they call it i called it western soul anyway nice cool anyway. i i mean is this is the same stuff that uh we played together this summer here in brooklyn right that's right yeah exactly that was the that was the whole band actually that was so seven good piece, seven piece band yeah we got the slide guitar the we got julie on vocals my wife um, yeah it was that was such a fun day i had so much fun playing with y'all and, and the show was great you guys were yeah, so good very cool um we're gonna come back up there we'll be there soon yeah i definitely want to come out to philly sometime as well either solo or with the band yeah we should probably we could look at uh something in february or or march or april i think would be would make sense i might have some dates i'll shoot you later uh yeah um but uh i i don't want to take too much more of your time i'd love for you to if i could do like kind of uh a real quick um lightning round just kind of shoot some questions and you just give me the the short form answer lightning round all right is this the standard of the show no i'm just i'm just trying it out uh let's see we'll start off i bet you feel comfortable to do that you're like let's go for it all right i I just want to get to a good place to like kind of wrap things up you know yeah because we got more we have more we could talk about and you're like we got to get to it but we're not you know I mean, you and I could probably talk on here for like four hours. I, <laughs> I don't. And this I would don't be any... this would be a great podcast in that regard to like get people to fall asleep. You know, they like yeah, totally. 
people to just like man chuck's ranting about spotify again <laughs> oh my god i love it i, I heard <laughs> um, you I rant about spotify so i love i you know yeah i do sometimes rant about spotify on my podcast and i release my podcast through a spotify subsidiary so i'm a hypocrite um <laughs> but okay first question of the lightning round what is something you've learned or what's a trick you learned to like being on the road the times you were on tour like something that that made life easier or like any way you you figured out how to get food cheaper or free like like what do you come up with any skills like that skills to get food any cheaper. or any tricks well one of the earliest tricks we had was we used the is couchsurfing.com still exist by the way i'm sure it does I never we actually used, used couch, it, but I heard lots we of... We used couchsurfing.com. Uh-huh. We had our tour planned, and we, like, connected with all these cool people on couchsurfing.com. This is probably not the, the kind of tip you're looking for. But no, because of that, tip. we, a lot, of, most of the time, had room and board covered when we went to random new cities. Santa Cruz, Sacramento, Reno, Nevada, wherever the heck you're staying with a couch server and but we also got to meet somebody who was like a really cool person who lived in this town and they would tell us you know they take us on a tour of the town the next day or they would like mm -hmm. i don't know take us to a restaurant like it was a lot of cool things like that where we actually met people who lived in the city they told us about the like they gave us the the down low about the city it was great anyway Cool. No, that's a great, great advice. I've never actually done that. And I, I probably should. I feel like I'm going to look into it, see if that's still a thing. You'll, you'll get certified easy. It's like, or not even certified, but like they give you like, um, is it a certification or what is it called? But you're like verified. So people will, mm -hmm. yeah, and you make a little profile and people like communicate with you. I don't even know if it's around. Let me look it up right now. Like, quite curious about this <laughs> um but anyway it's good to go for places that you're you've never been to um what is what is a tip that you have on going on tour couch wow couch um, still is here wow nice unbelievable it's freaking here dude that couch surfing like built like the first like 10 haymarket squares tours okay <laughs> that's awesome i i definitely need to do that i wonder if um yeah i need to try that i never really did i would like crash with random people that i met at the shows and stuff like that i've definitely done that before but uh yeah we been there once or twice for sure but it's like the guys in the squares like oxborough some and they were like we need to have our stuff. We need to know what we're doing. It was like, yeah, and that kind of makes sense, you know. It's like, yeah, totally. Go. I mean, me now, I try and know that stuff. I, uh, which oftentimes just ends up getting a hotel, and that's how you eat up a lot of tour budget. Um, but sure. it's some sometimes nice to just be like, we're just getting a hotel. You know, we made enough money that like, it's nice that I can do. I I I can't do that all the time now, but it's nice that now every once in a while I can be like, let's just get a hotel. Nothing beats a hotel, but yeah, when you're on the road, nothing beats, but there's even another level of like, 
it's a super fan that's like my house is like a hotel. They're like Yeah. They're they're like and it's a very it's a rare thing as well, but it's like just come to our house. Like blah blah blah. Well we're gonna leave the doors unlocked. Like we're already sleeping. Like you don't like you just you can they're like hang out at the show, you know, like load your stuff in, blah blah blah, do whatever you gotta do, go out to eat. The house is there for you. Like we're in the guest house. We're not even in the main house. Come in and loud as drunk as you want, you know, like Yeah. <laughs> it's that occasionally happens. Uh but I feel like that was the uh that's the treatment that you would get at it to I'm I'm sure some people would treat you like that, Charles. Let's be real. That's good to know. Maybe I'll give it a shot. Uh, <laughs> let's uh next question in the lightning round. Let's see. Um what's something that you've learned to practice to like help with longevity in music? Ooh. Longevity in music. Um Honestly, I I try to get some kind of exercise as 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 contrived as that sounds. No, it's a it's great advice. It's the truth. It helps. Yeah, um, just getting out there and running and and uh, lifting weights, doing a little bit of this or that. Playing soccer, I play a lot of soccer. I try to at least and just uh uh follow in uh one of my one of my idols footsteps bob marley who was a big fan of playing soccer but it's a good way to just go around and run around and chase a ball and i guess i'm assuming it's keeping me healthy at uh, to some degree hopefully yeah <laughs> no that's i mean especially as we get older having ways that we enjoy getting exercise without it feeling like exercise is crucial yes yeah, you got to go out. You should enjoy it. Yeah, you don't want to be like, ah, I'm going for two hours in this fucking grueling, like, you know, core fit thing that I'm going to like, I don't know, maybe people like that. Or riding your bike is a good one, too. That's another one yeah. that's like, just going out for a beautiful bike ride, you know, Yeah. looking at the scenery. Or even just to get from A to B, you're just like, oh, I'm just going to get myself there and get and work up a sweat while I'm doing it, you know, get yeah, myself breathing it, a little bit. It's working it, out in your everyday life. You yeah. Know? Uh, the, the school I work at, I'm, I'm like climbing floors. I'm going up and down three floors. I have to like walk around. I guess these fools are making me work out whether I want to or not. <laughs> what's, uh, what's something you've learned about teaching that's, uh, you know, that, that's, uh, or like a yeah a lesson you've learned that just that's made you a better teacher. Ooh, damn, Chris, Charles, you're throwing these these curveballs out here. Uh, you're supposed to tell me these questions before I get on the the line with you. That's that's what I do. <laughs> that's what I do. I throw curveballs. <laughs> Wait, a thing a thing I've learned about teaching. Like, I mean, there's been too many things. Uh, yeah, just one that's that's like uh that was like a big help or a big lesson you learned that 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 made teaching easier because I I imagine when you first started it like it's fucking really hard like there's there's things that you learn to like make it easier and and I don't know 
yeah, you're like less attached or self-righteous about being like, I need to have everybody do it this way. And like, it needs, you know, I need to, um, I need to make these all, make all these people like fit in line this certain way or like do it right this way. It's like all these people are coming from completely different backgrounds. They're coming from wild upbringing. Some of them come from very calm upbringings. Like they all have different ways that they are a person. And you're, you can't just be like, everybody pay attention and expect them all to actually pay attention. So you have to like meet them halfway there and be like, okay, this kid has got a major attention problem or this kid is not getting any sleep at night. And so they're always tired and you just understand that that's the reality of them. And you, 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 and you just see it for what it is and accept it. Nice. Yeah. Just accepting people for the individuals they are and, and, and letting their style of learning kind of take, like allow it to exist instead of trying to, beat them into a mold or a form exactly absolutely i think that's like i i I love my stepdad to to death he's one of like the best human beings i know but i find it kind of tragic that his generation and i think his upbringing was very much about like this is what a young man is supposed to do and become and but you know just like very much this thing and there just wasn't much space for him to be creative and to to try different things it was just like no this is this is your life and uh um you know and it's just kind of tragic because i think that's just how a whole generation if not several generations of our parents and grandparents and stuff like that that's how education was approached for them and even for some of us yeah Absolutely. And I think that's doing a big disservice to children to to try and just force them to be a thing. Yep. Yep. You're like, this is what society says guys are supposed to be and, you know, or yeah, and you have so many people, everybody's so so different and has so many different interests. As we see when we're older, we're like, oh, wow, people are so you know, yeah. you see it, it's a lot more apparent when you're older, but you're like, man, there's weirdos everywhere. And that's great, you know, but like everybody's got all these little quirky talents and things they do. And it, um, you don't think about that as much when you're a kid, but that stuff could definitely be a lot better nurtured and accepted, you know, as people are growing up and just be like, oh, my kid loves origami and he's like amazing whatever go with it you know like i know it's yeah. not totally manly but whatever you know yeah not like you have to do football or wrestling or this thing it's like oh you like you have interest in this here let's let's explore that let's check that out yep you know yeah That's, yeah uh, and, and I, I i still i see that sports that overemphasis on sports still to this day it's still there a little bit you know like yeah at school, it's like, oh, oh, how the wrestling team do? How the football team do? You know, it's like, it's like, but as you and I know, sports are like just a very small part of things. I mean, yes, they're a big part of like America's ethos and entertainment value, uh, but like, totally. But it's like almost a a misplaced a misplaced like reverence on it. Yeah, I mean, I. There's a great, I mean, get me waxing about high school football and game over. No, but uh, 
there's a great there's a great uh jason isville lyric about uh like losing a like a football game it's like a what does he say it's a it's a boy's last dream and a man's first loss and uh you know mm. like I, I like really really that really resonated with me because i like high school football was all i ever wanted to do my whole childhood or whatnot up until like i finished high school football senior year and then i was like i think i was slow to kind of kickstart adulthood because i because i hadn't ever really considered anything outside of playing high school football like i got good grades and stuff like that just because that's what you did and school was always pretty easy to me but the only thing i really ever aspired to was like to play high school football and i never like and then it was all of a sudden like football was over and i just didn't know how to like what to be or who to be or what to do and then it was like oh you got to find a school to go to and you got to do all these things And i was like oh fuck i'm not prepared for any of this because all i thought about (laughs) for the past four years was playing football Wow. Um, you know, and it's like, and then you, yeah, now you look back on it and you're like, like, what the fuck? Like football, who the fuck cares about football? You know what I mean? Like, I like, I, and I love football and I'm grateful for the time I spent doing it, but I look back on it. I'm like, dude, you missed out on a, like you, you could have actually been trying to get into a good college instead of just like trying to make all state, you know? And it's like, but my, my goals were so narrow-minded back then. Um, I have so many I, students who are just like, foot. they're like talking about football. They're talking about the sport they're playing. I'm like, but their academics are like totally to the wayside. And you, you're just like that. I'm like, I want to tell them, but they're just like so ingrained. And in I'm like, this football stuff, you're not even going to play football after high school. It's not that relevant for your life right now, but – I mean, it's like, and it's good to want to work hard at something and achieve goals and things like that. But like, I mean, let's be, I mean, let's be realistic about things, you know, with, uh, uh, but asking a fucking 17 year old to be realistic is, is kind of like asking a fucking fish to not be wet, you know, like (laughs) kids, kids got to dream big and have their heads in the cloud a little bit. Yeah. and, And a lot of them, you can't really they're just, you can't tell them anything, you know, they're just kind of like, they, you know, they know what they know and they're, I don't know, they'll, they'll accept a little bit of advice, but they're, you, you, like you said, you earlier, you can't, you're, you can't really be too preachy and be like, yeah, you know, sure. You have a half hour, like, lecture you could give to them about like why the decisions they're making don't you know aren't ideal ideal and blah 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 they're gonna tune you out after like two minutes totally this old dude doesn't know what he's talking about so you have to like pepper it in and you have to do it very strategically and it's like not it's a it's a fine line and they're they're difficult to get through. I think people in general don't really listen to other people's advice very well. I think a lot of people are like I know what I know, or I, you know, they think that they have their own way and that's the best way anyway. No, totally. Dude, I think you're 100% right about that. I think, uh, especially with kids, I mean, I'll, I'll just like relate it to myself is that, um, all of the things that I, you know, I hit about age 32, 33 and just like really kind of hit a wall with like what the way I was living my life. And I had to like figure out 
a new way to approach things while still like not having to become religious or whatnot. <laughs> uh, but what's funny is like a lot of the best things I figured out are all the is all the advice that like old dudes were giving me when I was like too dumb to listen, you know, just like, <laughs> like make your bed in the morning and like exercises because if you don't feel well, it's probably, you should probably exercise cause you'll probably feel better. Like, you know, just all these things like my, like my stepdad who is, has always been kind of like robotic in that way where he's just like always working out, always like making his bed. Like he was in the military. So it kind of makes sense. But like, um, but there's, that's like a big part of like having the time to have a fulfilling life is by just like making sure you do these specific things or whatnot. But like when I was in my twenties or especially high school, like you're not going to fucking tell me what to do. Like, huh. you know what I mean? I don't want to. Yeah. What do, I, I think just, <laughs> it's a thing of the youth. They just think if, if you're a teacher, you're already old and ancient and they're, it's just the idea of like these old people these people don't know what they're talking about. They're not cool. They don't know what's going on. And they probably see the world that's fucked up and be like, it's their fault. You know, there's a, that's a I mean, I blame, thing. I blame boomers for the fucked up world. So yeah, I get we blame it. Boomers, but now Xennials are going to blame like millennials, you know, millennials and, you know, and, like, X and yeah. Well, I do love being every once in a while, just turning into old guy yells at cloud. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've I've kind of always had that old, grumpy old dude energy, so I'm just kind of like <laughs> aging into it. Uh, but I I gotta let you go. We should. This has been awesome, dude. Could you please, before we go, um, tell everybody where they can find out more about your music, what you're doing these days, how they can, you know, just all the things that you want to plug. Please let us know about it. Um, I do have um, an Instagram. Well, we've got Wonderhouse Philly at Instagram. Is that's mm -hmm. Wonderhouse that the band that I'm in over here? But I also have John Luther Music at Instagram. At cool. Instagram on Instagram, what the heck? I don't know. On it's so it just spelled out John Luther Music. Is that your yeah. your handle? I think that and is then my handle. Hold on, but I'm Wonderhouse Philly as well. Wonderhouse Philly. Thank you for translating because I'm sure I was garbling the words here. Hold on. All good. Um, I do have a SoundCloud. That would be. Yeah, How do we John find Luther you on music. SoundCloud? I think John Luther Music is my Instagram. John Luther Music. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm getting in, into Instagram right now, and it's really cool. Uh, <laughs> nice. So wait, yeah, I have a SoundCloud. It's John Luther on SoundCloud. It's a picture of me. Do it with that. Hell yeah. Sunglasses on and everything. Yeah. That's my SoundCloud. Hell yeah. I, got some, I got a lot of that. A lot of that stuff is like solo stuff I worked on uh, during the pandemic. Cool. Because I was kind of all alone. I had to learn how to like make drums. I had to learn how to like lay these bass lines on. I didn't know how to do any of this. I had to do harmonies. Listen to some of the songs, Charles. Seriously, actually, I did a lot of layered harmonies, and I actually want you to to critique them for me or or listen to them and give me some feedback. I will listen to them. I'm not great at harmonies, but I I, I can. You, I know. I'll send you a link or two of like the ones I want you to listen to for sure. But like, okay, yeah, please do. Yeah, because I like I did these harmonies, but I used my voice primarily. Julie sang on some, but 
I like looped them on a loop pedal and I recorded them a certain way. So I like, I'm just kind of oh, interested cool. that you hear them. Um, and also before I go, I wanted you to see this, which that's banjo in there. There's... I got mine right here. Oh, you've got one. Oh, shoot. There it is. There's you. What is that? A, a Cubs hat? That's my friend Vincent Draper and the Coles. But yeah, they use the Cubs logo. Oh, my God. Then, <laughs> that was a good time. And then Banjo that was, again. That was a real fun night. That was fun. a lot of fun. Yes. Well, dude, this has been great. Uh, hopefully, our paths will cross soon. Let's do – I'll shoot you some dates here soon to come to Philly, and you guys come up here, and we'll uh, we'll party. Would, would love to have that. Um, looking forward to it very much, and also looking forward to hopefully playing with you in March for sure and in Arizona. So watch out, That'll Arizona be, people. That would uh, be awesome, yeah. But thank you so much for having me on this. I'm like into the podcast idea. I'm kind of like, like Julie listens to them all the time and she's just like way into it. Now I'm kind of into it. So thank you. It's fun. It's a, it's an easy way to, uh, to make content while getting to know people better, you know? And it's like, oh. and I enjoy the format cause I love like conversations. We grew up in the, the age where you'd like talk to people on the phone, like, you know, when I had crushes on girls, I talked to them on the phone at like at night for like an hour on the phone, you know, like Good it's point. it's just, but like now I, I only get phone calls from people who like are trying to scam me or think I owe them money, you know, like I don't want, you know, so it's like the podcast is a nice replacement for that. That's a very good point. There's a intimacy there that is, uh, that's not to be forgotten totally and, uh yeah it kind of it's, it harkens back to the day of radio you know and there yeah there is there's something warm about that you know yeah for sure it's uh, pretty cool i i i enjoy the format i have a lot of fun doing it i mean i don't know how you turn it into money but like that's not the point of everything you know i enjoy you- doing it and and this Zencaster stuff is is pretty cool, or it's working for you, or you like it. Yeah, I mean Zencaster is a good program to record it on and whatnot. Um, I release it through Anchor via Spotify, uh, you know, and like that, and they have a monetization option. Which, like, at the beginning of this episode, you'll hear me. I've got an ad for Anchor. And so like, I make a little bit of money doing that, but it's like, I get a penny per play and I, and I get like about 50 plays per episode. So it's like, I make like 50 cents an episode. It's not, you know, it's not like, I cannot believe you're scamming the system that way. I'm making so much money. You are such, I thought you were such an upstanding guy. And then I hear you're trying to to scam 50 cents off of anchor. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to get 50 cents off of Anchor from Spotify because they've scammed all the value from out Spotify, of Spotify from that music. hardworking small business, <laughs> Spotify. <laughs> oh my god. Oh man, this has been a lot of fun. I got to I got to get going. My dog's whining outside the door. Okay, bye Banjo. Um anyway, awesome to talk to you, man. Thank you. This is great. Um looking forward to listening to it and uh looking forward to seeing you soon and playing with you Definitely. and thank Same. you thank you thank you for having me uh 
Of course. Thank you to all the listeners. Uh, and hey, keep on rocking in a free world, I think, or something to yeah. that extent. While, while it's still free. Yes. Enjoy it. Live it up. All right? <laughs> all right. Take care, dude. Thank you, sir. You too. Hey, bud. One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana. The host asked me if I had a nickname. Said my friends called me the Dirtbag King. She said on the air I started giggling. Hasn't had me back, but now I've got this podcast. Welcome to my podcast.